really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. And we believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. See, science can never give meaning to your life. That's where you need faith. That's where you need Christianity. That's where you need to investigate the spiritual, not the scientific. And I think it's good to have scientific understanding and knowledge, but it doesn't answer those fundamental questions of life. It just tells us a little bit of the how. And that's important to us as we, we start our new series, because even for us as followers of Christ, sometimes our view of God is too small. Sometimes we've, we've kind of shrunk God into this me-focused, treat-myself world. That it becomes all about me and what I consume and my needs and what I, what I should be doing. And that's pretty much how the world lives, isn't it? Very much focused on self. Now, I have to say as a slight aside to that, that there is a, a biblically healthy view where we love ourselves. So we're not saying we should hate ourselves. We're not saying that we should be down on ourselves because God loves us. We're made in his image. But so often the focus of that love is selfish or at the very least self-interested. But Jesus comes and said, what are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor so we do have to love ourselves, but not in a selfish, me-focused way that does bring the confusion and division. Truthfully, what happens when we fail to know God properly is that we become helpless and hopeless. Because if all we're looking is for science and, and logical answers, guess what happens to us? We get to the end of that, don't we? Doctors can't answer all our problems. Scientists can't answer all our problems. There are some stuff that, that are spiritual in nature. Over the summer period, we're, we're going to look at the character and nature of God. And we're going to look at a number of areas. We're going to focus on the fact that he is the eternal God, today's message. That he is omnipotent. That he is unchanging. That he is omnipresent. And, and through all of those things, what, what I hope is several things. Firstly, that our, that our trust and that our hope in God is strengthened. So if you are a believer, if you already follow Christ, what I hope is that you come into a more relationship, a more intimate relationship with God, because you get a greater clarity and a greater understanding of who God actually is, what the scripture says about him. And for those of you who, who don't know him yet, that you will come to experience this wonderful, powerful, beautiful, eternal God. That's my desire. You see, we, we need to have the right perspective on lots of areas of life, but we need to have the right perspective on time. See, we, we're different cultures here. And it's interesting when I travel uh, around the world and you ask different cultures things related to time or even distance. So if I said to some of you, how far is it to Gatwick Airport? Some of you will answer in kilometers. Hands up if you'll answer in kilometers. Yeah, depending on where you are in the world, you'll answer in kilometers. Oh, Gatwick is, you know, seven kilometers away. Those of you who have been trained properly will answer in miles, correct? 
you'll say, oh, it's four or five miles away. But I guarantee what some of you will say, oh, Gatwick's about 20 minutes away. Yeah? yeah. How many of you said that? But that's a measurement of time, not distance. So is Gatwick Airport in the future? Yeah. You see, uh, that's a bit deep. I, uh, I know that. But... Just think about that. We have a different way of measuring things. And that's exactly what happens when we come to Scripture. Turn with me to Psalm 90 and we'll, we'll begin to see Moses, the man of God. He, he gets this revelation. He's called the friend of God. He knows God intimately. He, he says a couple of things in Psalm 90 that I think are helpful to us. Because it's the affirmation of God as the eternal God. Psalm 90, if you're not sure where that is. Uh, if you have a physical Bible, just let it fall open somewhere in the middle. For those of you who are looking on your phones, you can scroll. It's in the, the first half. Psalm 90. Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to God, from beginning to end, you are God. And then Moses goes on, goes on to, to kind of contrast that with the brevity of our life. And we'll return to that in a few minutes. But verse 2 just has this idea that God stands before and above creation. When we looked at the series in Colossians, one of Bev's verses that she memorized is, He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's what we believe. That's what we believe Jesus does. He is the eternal God. And this is the consistent witness of Scripture. When we come to the New Testament, we see that. So if you have your Bible again, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul's writing to his young mentor. And he wants him to get a, a good picture of God. 1 Timothy 1.17. This is what he says. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king. The unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. So right in scripture, right at, at the start of the gospel, right at the start of the early church, Paul is coming and establishing for us that the consistent witness of scripture is that God is the eternal God. In Revelation chapter 1, when we see this picture of Jesus, Jesus comes and reveals himself as the eternal one. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the one who holds the keys of death and hell. He is the one who is the eternal God. He stands outside of time. You see, that's important for us to know, to know because we so often get locked into time. But right from the start, this is an easy one to find if you're not sure of the Bible. Genesis. So it's the first book, Genesis chapter 1. And it's interesting that Genesis doesn't start by trying to justify God. It doesn't start by trying to explain God. God just is. <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. It's one of the reasons why we believe in the Trinity, three and one. Because the word that's used of God here is, is plural. Plural. And we also see God 
speaking and, and the, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of God is hovering over the waters of the deep. And then when you come into John chapter 1, you see that Jesus is the agent of creation. So right in creation, we have this sense of God is eternal. God is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit involved. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that that light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. So right at the start of creation, God is wanting us to know something about his nature and the fact that he is an eternal God. And then when he meets Moses' famous story of Exodus chapter 3, the story of the burning bush. Many of you will be familiar. Kids, you will know this as well. And Moses has this encounter with God. And, and God sends him back to his people after a bit of a disastrous start. And he says, but who will I say has sent me? How does God reveal himself? I am. Don't you find that a strange statement? If you, if you introduce yourself to someone, yeah, I am. That, that would sound a bit arrogant, wouldn't it? But God reveals himself as the I am. And the way the, the Hebrew is constructed, it's, it's almost untranslatable because it encapsulates every grammatical tense in the English language. It's the God who has always been. It's the God who is present now and the God who will always be. So when God reveals himself to Moses, he said, I always was, I am, and I will always be. That's why God is outside of time. That's why God is the eternal God. And Jesus picked up on that in, in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is, is one of those chapters where God is... <laughs> Jesus is in a bit of controversy with the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They're challenging him. They're testing him. And they said, what right, what authority do you have to do these miracles? What right do you have to speak the way you do? And Jesus says to them, before Abraham was born, I am. It's the same. Before Abraham was born, I am. He uses the very thing that God reveals himself to Moses to show that he is eternal. And they knew he was claiming to be God in that. Why? Because at the next point, they're trying to stone him. They knew Jesus was claiming to be this eternal God that was out of time. The problem for many of us is how we view time. And the only way we can view time is, is linear. It's in a sequence, isn't it? That's the way we see it, past, present, and, and then the future. We just experience it bit by bit. But God doesn't see time in that way. Someone has suggested a helpful image for us in the way God views times is, is like when you go to that nice lake on a nice summer's day and you've got that picnic and you're looking out on the lake and you can see the whole lake in one vista, in one view. That's the way God views time. He doesn't see it as past, present and future. He doesn't see your past, present and future in the way that we understand it. God sees our past, our present and our future all in one go. That's why God says there's hope for you. That's why God says there's a future. That's why God doesn't see you with the present imperfections and limitations that you see on yourself. Because he sees your future as well. 
He sees it all. He sees the past that is, is being dealt with. He sees the presence that's covered with the righteousness of Christ. And he sees the future. And Paul talked about in Romans 8. That future is, is glorification. It's glory. God sees that all in one go because he sees time like a lake. So that means he's not consumed by your present difficulties. He's not consumed by your present pressures. He's not consumed or worried by the things that you struggle with. Why? Because he sees it in one view. He sees it all in one go. Isn't that encouraging? The things that you think, God, would you help me with this? I've been struggling with this for six weeks. And God goes, a thousand years are like one day in my sight. I had to look at you when I said that, David. <clears throat> a thousand years are like one day in God's sight. Our, our life is brief. We'll, we'll see that in a minute. Um, sometimes we, we just need to come and, and, and see really the brevity of life. Back to Psalm 90. Psalm 90, Moses, the man of God, picks up in verse 10. He says, 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. And if you look at the New Testament, at the book of James, he said, our life is like a mist. It's like a vapor. We're here and then we're gone. And even if we lived 120 years, what is that in the grand scheme of eternity? It's nothing, is it? Our life is brief and God tells us and encourages us through Moses. He says in verse 12, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Do you want to grow in wisdom? Do you want to grow in understanding? Then realize really how small and brief our life is and that we can make it count. We can make a difference even in our brief life. And Moses learned that painful lesson from his own desert experiences. Moses was the man of God and yet he, he had to deal with a whole group of grumbling people. A whole generation that wouldn't listen to them. Even though he spoke the words of God. Even though he came with God's word. Did they listen? Did they listen? No, they didn't. They murmured, they grumbled, and a whole generation failed to enter the promises of God because they didn't listen to this man of God. And Moses comes and says, Deuteronomy 33, 27, many of you will know it. Round, this is in the old money. This is how I remember it. Round about and underneath us are the everlasting arms. Round about and underneath us are the everlasting arms. You see, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our difficulty, we need to come back and just see that there is a different perspective. God has a different perspective, and that perspective is eternal because he is an eternal God. Some of you will have heard of Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett one of the richest men in the world. And people have asked him, what's the secret of your success in your investment strategy? He says, when I look at a company and when I'm looking to invest, I don't look for a quick fix. 
I don't look for a quick profit. I don't look for five years or even 10 years. He said, when I look at a company and decide to invest, I'm looking at decades ahead. That's my investment strategy. Do you know what? That would be a good investment strategy for those who follow Christ. That you're not simply looking at how, how do I fix this problem? How do I solve this? What's going to help? And run here, there, and everywhere to try and get answers and don't find them. In fact, the wisest man, Solomon, said in Ecclesiastes, outside of God, everything is meaningless. But if we're going to have that perspective, we, we need to realize that we live with an eternal perspective. This life is not the end. We will say it in the creed later. You heard it already. We believe in the resurrection and the life everlasting. There is a future for us. This life is only a dress rehearsal for eternity. So what you do in this life will determine what happens in the next. A couple of simple points before Kerry comes back and leads us again. God is eternal, meaning we can have confidence in God. You know, this is the thing I've noticed over the last five years in particular. I've noticed people losing confidence in God. Look what's happening in the world. Look at COVID. Look at the governments. Look at the scandals. Look at this. And, and before you know it, they've talked themselves into a negative place as if God wasn't still on the throne. But he is. History is not cyclical, repeating itself. It may feel like that to us, but history is moving towards a, a very determined end. And that determined end is in Jesus Christ. He's the one who holds history. And that's when Hebrews comes and says, he's writing to a people who were tempted to lose their confidence. In fact, he says, do not throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. They were tempted to go back to their old life. They were tempted to give up on God. They were tempted to go back to the Jewish and regulations and rules. And God comes and says, don't throw away your confidence. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. That's why... When we get passages like John 14 where the disciples are grieving because Jesus has told them, I'm going to have to leave you. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified. And they didn't understand it. They hadn't a clue, did they? They really didn't grasp it. Even after the resurrection, Jesus had to correct them. And they didn't quite grasp it. And, and Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Philip says, how, how can we know the way? And Jesus says... Philip, do you still not know? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The miracles that you see, the teaching that you hear, the way that I operate, that I won't crush a broken reed, that I won't snuff out a smoldering wick. In other words, the compassion that I have for people, the things that you have seen, that's the heart of the Father. That's why in Nehemiah it says God's DNA is gracious, loving, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's God's DNA. Come on, buddy. Go ahead. That's God's DNA. That's the nature of the eternal God. That's why we can have confidence because 
When you come into his family, John 1.12 says, when we receive and we believe, we are given the right to become children of God. It's not your effort, it's grace. But when we receive and we believe, we are brought into the family of God. We are given the authority to become a child of God. That's what John says. So that means it's not about your performance. Come on, some of you need to hear that this morning. The gospel is not about your performance. Whether that's your past, because there's still unresolved issue. Whether that's your present, because you're wrestling with God in an issue of life. Or your future. It's all covered. When Jesus died for your sins, which sins did he die for, Sue? Just your past ones? No, all of them. Past, present, and future. So folks, salvation and the gospel of grace means it's not about your performance. That's why Paul says in Romans 8.31, since God is for us, who can be against us? Who can lay accusations? Who can condemn you? No one, because it's Christ Jesus who justifies you. It's Christ's work. It's not about your performance. But in the process of working that out, Paul does say that God who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Philippians 1.6. Has God got some work still to do in your life? The answer is yes, by the way, in case you're wondering. (laughs) And if you want to say no, come to me afterwards. (laughs) God still has a work to complete in your life. But it's his work. It's his work in you. Paul says that in Ephesians 2. God works out his plan and his purpose in our lives. How does he do that? Not by performance. Not by us trying to measure, measure up. But actually by realizing we're loved by God. But you know what? We struggle with that so much, don't we? We do. We struggle to believe that God loves us. You can understand how you would love the person beside you. You can understand how we'd love the pastor, Margaret, of course. But love me? In the temptation and the baptism of Jesus... Again, we see the three in one. The Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit descends like a dove. So we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present together. This is my beloved Son. And in the next chapter, the the Spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And that's the force of the word. The same word that's used to get rid of demons. So this was not a pleasant experience. This was not easy. Jesus is driven by the spirit into the the desert to be tempted by the devil. And then watch what the devil does. The devil comes and says, if you are the son of God. You see, the devil's very clever. He will twist and he will distort, but he left out the most crucial word from the affirmation of the Father. Beloved. He didn't say, if you are the beloved son. He just said, if you are the son. 
He tries to distort it. He tries to get Jesus off track from the affirmation of the Father that he had just been given. And he'll do exactly the same to you. He'll come in and it'll sound sort of right. And he may even use scripture. But he'll twist that affirmation that God the Father has given you. The enemy leaves out the crucial word. And the word that's used literally means divinely loved. And that's what God says about us. Right back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31 verse 3. For the people who weren't faithful to God, who didn't listen, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I will continue my love to you time and time again through the prophets. He said, even though you are faithless, I remain faithful. I have loved you because I've made a covenant. And in the New Testament, Jude writes a warning letter. But in that warning letter, there's a a couple of little nuggets of truth. And he says, you're you're divinely loved. Do you know, it's the same word that the Father speaks over Jesus. Some of you may be familiar with the word. There's there's three words for love in the New Testament. There's phileos, the the brotherly love, the high five. That's what the guys often do. The high five, the handshake, or if you're really close, maybe a, a bear hug from a distance, you know. That's the phileos love. Then there's the the eros love, the erotic love, the the sexual union love between a man and a wife. And then there's this distinct word. Some of you have spotted already. Agape. God's divine love. So when the Father speaks over Jesus, and when the Father speaks over us, he's not just having a little bit of affection. He's having a divine sacrificial, self-giving love. That's the love that the Father loves you with. There's no doubt in that. There's no question mark on that. God has set that from eternity. I have loved you with an everlasting love. The agape, the self-sacrifice, the divine love of God is on your life. That's good news, folks. Now, the challenge for us The challenge for us is to make room for God, knowing that we're loved. There's a great song that I'm playing quite a lot in the mornings, part of my own devotions. It's a song called Make Room for God. And part of it says, this is my surrender. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to do. See, I think we can only fully surrender to God when we know we're agape loved. When we know we're divinely loved. Because then we're in a safe place to surrender to God. When we're gripped by that. When we know that we're agape. Then we can give ourselves to the one who loves us. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1 and then in Ephesians 3. I pray that you might have the spirit of revelation. So that you might know the father better. That you might know the love of the Father. And in fact, in the story of the prodigal, Luke makes an interesting point. This is not anywhere in your notes. So this is extra for free, Sinead. I know you like taking notes. When it says that the Father comes running, which a Jewish father should never have done, because he would have had to lift up his robe and expose his ankles. Shouldn't have done that. He runs, and it says that he threw himself on the sun, Some versions talked about kissing the son. Luke then goes into Acts chapter 2. And when it's the spirit poured out 
It's the same word. It's the same word. So when we experience the love of the Father, when we experience the work of the Holy Spirit, it's two and, two and one. When you experience the Holy Spirit, you are experiencing the love of the Father. Come on, folks. This is good news. That means we need to make room for God. And this idea of being loved by God, it isn't the case of, well, because I'm loved, that means it doesn't matter how I live. That means it doesn't matter, I can do what I want. The opposite is true. Paul says in Ephesians 1, because you're loved by God, because of what Christ has done for you, lead a life worthy of the calling you have received. What is the calling you have received? To embrace the agape love of God, to experience that lavish love of God for yourself in your own life. See, truthfully, folks, God's not looking for a veneer of Christianity in your life. You are not doing God a favor by turning up some Sunday mornings. I'm sorry. If you think you are, you're not. God doesn't want a kind of a, a, a tiny bit that you manage to squeeze in when you're not too busy. God wants your surrender. God wants all of you. God wants to be the steering wheel in your life, not the spare wheel. But you're only going to do that if you know you're loved. I'm not looking for a veneer Christianity. Part of our vision, and we shared it recently again, it's on the back wall is to have disciples who wholeheartedly serve Jesus. So that's my challenge to you this morning. Out of knowing you're loved, out of knowing there is an eternal perspective, are you wholeheartedly serving Jesus? Secondly, finally, God is eternal, meaning we can have hope in God. A couple of weeks ago, I saw my sister who... Uh, flew in from Florida. I haven't seen her in 18 years. I hadn't seen my nieces ever. I, um, sorry, my, my niece I hadn't seen in, in about the same length of time. I had never seen her, her kids, who are now 14 and 10. And, and that phrase that we all say, wow, time flies. When you, and kids hate it when you don't do it, when you show them to answer uncles, don't you? And they go up, oh, I can't do it with you, Ian, sorry about that. But when the, you know, aunts and uncles go up and they kind of rustle and tussle someone's hair and they go, oh, look how big you're getting now. Oh, I remember the last time I saw you. Time flies. We can't believe how big you're getting. You see, we all experience the passing of time. And if we're honest, that can be a challenge for us because the passing of time means change. It means loss. It means grief because it's part of life. And part of our struggle in that is, is kind of coping with that because God has put something in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has put eternity into the hearts of men. That's why people are restless and they're trying to find that satisfaction in the wrong things. Because God has put eternity in our hearts. There is a seed of eternity in our hearts. And when we experience time that may involve loss, grief, mourning, or decay in our life, 
<laughs> I've noticed in my head I'm still 25. <laughs> so after exercise or after doing something, you know, I, I look at the skateboarders and think I could do that. <laughs> and then I think, yeah, but what happens if I fall? How long is it going to take me to recover? Because the passage of time, our bodies decay. We can't do the things we did 20 years ago, maybe. We long for a life beyond the decay. We long for a life beyond the change that we see and, and feel. And Jesus comes with good news again for us because life with him is eternal. Life and eternal life is tied to knowing him. John 17 verse 3, Jesus teaching his disciples before he's about to be crucified, he says, you know, eternal life is this. Knowing God and his son whom he sent. Eternal life is tied to a relationship with Jesus. Some of the most famous verses in the Bible, we have part of it there, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why? Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him we might have life. Eternal life is not just a quantity of life when we die. It's a quality of life here and now. It's knowing God. It's having that peace. It's having that joy. It's having that righteousness. It's having that fulfillment. It's serving him. It's fulfilling the purpose which God has intended us for. I love the way Paul puts it again in Colossians. Some of you may know it. Paul says this. It's Christ in us. The hope of glory. Just pause for a moment. Just stop. It's not our bank balance. It's not our education. It's not our family. It's not our cars. All of those things have their place. But it's Christ in us who is the hope of glory. Carrie, why don't you come as we reaffirm again our faith? And then the worship team will lead us in some, some worship. We changed things around slightly today because I feel, felt from this message, this would be something we would want to respond to in some worship. So thank you, Kerry. Okay, so if the children want to come up and get their posters to hold up, we've also got the words of the Apostles' Creed that we're going to say together. And I think it's really important to remember, so if you grab your posters... Come on, children, if you can come up and come and grab your posters. Dilly, can you come and help get them in order for me, please? Because they're just messing up the orders completely already. Lisa, can you come and help as well? Is that all right? Thank you. So the children are going to come up the front and they're going to hold their posters up. They, they have been decorating the words of the Apostles' Creed, so they're going to come up and show you. But what I would ask that we do is to say these words as a response to what David has just told us because that was an extremely powerful message about who God is and we now have an opportunity to stand up together what number are you? can you move right across so we can get everybody that's it, brilliant move up Darcy, please well done 
So this is a way that we can say the words together to really announce who God is. And if you remember at the beginning, I was saying that churches all across the world are saying these words. Isn't that powerful? That we are joining in as a universal church to declare who God is. So should we stand as we say it? Can we all stand? Is that all right? Fantastic. Just go at the end, Charlie. It doesn't matter. Just go at the end now because we've got the words up on the screen anyway. Thank you. Okay, so let's really declare this and let these words sink into you as to who God is. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless.